Welcome back to another episode of the Heart Speaks to Heart podcast, a product of Three Hearts Homestead. Today's episode is part two of our series on Christian ethics in an online world. If you missed the first half of our conversation, you can find it on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can also find us at threeheartshomestead.com for more episodes, blog posts, recipes, articles, and much more. Previously, on Heart Speaks to Heart, outside of these hours if I can avoid it, I'm not going to be doing this work from this time to this time because this time to this time is when I spend time with my family because we're all home during this time. Stuff like that. You've got to be strict about that. I, I agree with that. Um, trying to be strict with time is a challenge, especially when you're working from home. But I think there's two things that I would maybe comment on from what you just said. One of them is a disagreement in that I don't personally think that social media, regardless of when it's being used, constitutes true leisure. Oh, granted, absolutely. So I think there needs to be a distinction there because I don't think that social media at all, regardless of when, how, or why you're using it, is actual leisure. But that aside, I think also when it comes to homesteading specifically, or even you get into kind of the homemaking realm, kind of lumping those two in together, because I see kind of homemaking as the interior part of homesteading, right? Like you have maybe your sourdough or your other ferments or just homemade meals and house cleaning. I mean, like that all has to be done regardless of if there's outside activity on the homestead, be it garden, livestock, any of those things. But I think it becomes hard when you're utilizing it, like you were saying, as an online business with an online presence, because yes, those things need to be done. But how often are those things needing to be done with pictures being taken or videos being taken or comments being made that will later be used for the business on social media, right? Because, like, there are going to be days that you go out and it is just the morning chores. And, yes, it is part of the homestead and it's the part of the lifestyle, but maybe it's not necessarily part of the business. And so I think that makes it even harder to distinguish and set those boundaries for time working because... Even if you're not doing those videos or those pictures for the blog or whatever it is that you need to do within those chores or those, you know, aspects of your homestead or your homemaking, they're still going to need to be done, right? Like the animals always need to be fed, you know, the cow, if you have a dairy cow, needs to be milked, you know, like these different things. And I think you have to really sit down and take a good, hard, critical look at your time and how you're spending it and how much of that is actually going towards the business versus how much of that is just the day-to-day life of being a homesteader or a homemaker kind of a thing, if that makes sense. 
Like, I think you have to be really careful when you're portraying that or trying to analyze how much time you're really spending for the business. Because at the end of the day, like, some of that just is life when you're trying to be a homesteader. Some of that's just life when you're trying to be a homemaker, you know? Like, I could make 10 loaves of bread in a week. And one of those times, it could be taking pictures for a blog post or, you know, writing down a recipe. But those other nine times, it might just be because my family likes to eat bread. And I can't sit there and go, okay, but like, I'm always making bread for the business. And like, this is just kind of a drudgery or, you know, it's just different things anyways. But kind of back on that, I think it's just a lot of time management and understanding what time is actually going towards the business versus just your lifestyle, if that makes sense. Right. No, I'd agree with that. And I appreciate your distinction between uh, like social media not being true leisure. And I, I suppose what I would, what I meant to say was more so that like you're, you're using free time for that time that could be spent in real leisure. You're, choosing to use for this instead this this thing that is social media um but i would agree that it's not true leisure um and that might be a conversation that we have we might add that to our list of episodes to have just going into what leisure actually is because uh, that's going to be a whole conversation in and of itself but it it is clear to me at least that social media more often than not um is distraction um, is entertainment and when you are sitting and allowing yourself to passively be entertained by something um, that's not that's not leisure maybe if your idea of social media revolves around learning new things if it's educational and you're actively engaging with what you're learning and committing it to memory and finding practical ways to do it, or even just for the appreciation of the thing. Or practicing the skills as you're watching yeah. like a tutorial video or something of that nature. Even. Like say you use media to learn new languages or something like that, or learn how to be a better author by learning writing tips from someone else, then that could be leisure. That's a way that maybe social media could be leisurely, but the vast majority of social media in my personal experience is passively received edu uh, entertainment and not something you actively engage with. And so that's why I would say it's not leisure. I, I would agree with you on that. I think that is interesting though, kind of like looking at social media and how so many people find friends on social media that they might never meet in person but they consider like good friends like i have a hard time personally with the idea of having a group of solely virtual friends because in my mind yes you might be talking on a frequent basis by messaging or what have you depending on the type of social media you're using but does that really constitute a friendship? Like, when you're looking at the world from, you know, kind of this idea of online ethics and reality versus virtual reality, how would you handle the idea of, like, 
online friendships? Like, do you think there's a place for online friendships and that it can be a good thing? Or do you think that at the end of the day, if those online friendships don't eventually become like real tangible friendships, be it maybe you only meet once or twice or see each other very randomly and very rarely, like, would that be the only way it becomes a true friendship? Like, if you actually connect with them in real life? Because, like, personally, I'm of the opinion that if it's only online, you're not really friends. But I think that's in the sense of, you know, like, you're just messaging. I I could see it more if you're, like, maybe podcasting with someone who's really far away from you and you talk all of the time, like, on the phone, over Zoom. I think there's room to say maybe that is a true friendship because you're interacting more closely than just, you know, over messaging or texting or those kinds of things, sending pictures, that kind of stuff. But I think for the vast majority of social media friendships that it doesn't really constitute a friendship in the true sense. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I think you can definitely have real friendships on the internet. Um, messaging, all, all of it. I don't, I'm not going to stipulate that and say that like you need to be engaged to a certain degree in order to be real friends or something like that. And I'm part of the reason I'm going to say that's because I've experienced that. I've had internet friends. I still do. Um, even though um, I've actively stepped away from some of the social media platforms that I use to conversate with them, I still personally consider them as people to be my friends. And I've given them a handful of ways to reach out to me in the real world in case they ever wanted to kind of a thing. Um, but I consider us to be friends. The, the distinction I would draw, though is the difference between friends kind of almost existing in a vacuum as opposed to friends existing in a community or friends existing doing life together kind of a thing, right? Um, so say I took a really long airplane ride to somewhere in Europe and got talking with the guy sitting next to me on the plane. There's a decent chance that if the conversation was good enough by the end of that plane ride, we might consider each other friends and we might trade phone numbers and maybe text once in a while. But like, we weren't sharing our lives with each other. We weren't, we, we, we took a step out of our daily lives into this weird like space that is however it is that plane rides work, right? Where we're just kind of sitting there kind of separate from how we operate the rest of our lives and and you could form a friendship there for sure but there's there's no expectation there that you're going to meet up in real life and like continue to do more stuff after that point. i think that's interesting though because the example you just gave started off with a physical interaction well, as opposed to an online interaction and in my mind and i know we disagree about this sometimes just in general mm -hmm. but if you're never or have never actually met the person never like gotten to shake their hand or whatever it might be i have a hard time seeing that as like a true friendship okay then we, i i i like that metaphor specifically because it enters into this like 
weird third space that's outside of each other's lives but it, you're right it does have them interacting face to face um to, to address that specific part of the issue i would guess a better metaphor would be pen pals mm. so you have a pen pal that you found not because a friend of yours moved away but because you very specifically just wanted a pen pal either say through some kind of like charity thing where you give money to people in a third world country and they have an opportunity to write letters back and forth as part mm-hmm. of that or you just found some weird pen pal program that connects people from different countries for no other purpose than to get people from different ways of life to be able to talk to each other um i, I think such things exist i can't remember for certain but pen pals for the sake of just having pen pals um i i would say you can form friendships that way but you're not sharing in each other's lives except maybe beyond the sense of confiding in each other about what is happening in your individual lives, but your lives aren't intersecting. It's, it's like a reporting back and forth to each other. And then you have some kind of effect on each other based on the content of those conversations. But that's fair. I guess I can see that like making sense logically, but I think it still kind of at some point comes back to this idea of like, at what point does it become a problem to be communicating so much with online friends but not friends in real life? Like, I feel like the reason I struggle with it as a concept is because, like, it sounds great in theory, but then I watch so many people, be it, you know, with Snapchat or Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever it might be, like, it's almost like their entire lives get absorbed into the social media in that online space. And that's all they know. That's all they do. That's all they think. And suddenly, like, they don't know how to interact with people in real life anymore. They don't know how to carry an actual conversation with real people anymore. And frankly, a lot of times, like, you see it a lot with high schoolers, with younger like the younger generation, like just kind of underneath us age-wise, with a lot of them, it's just they don't see a point in interacting physically with people because all of their friends are online and like it's safer, it's more convenient that way. And as someone who values community in a very tangible, physical way, like interacting in reality i really struggle to see how that's good and because it goes so frequently that far in a online space direction as opposed to like bringing people more towards reality i don't like it as a concept granted there's always temperance there's always a balance that can be reached right like It's not like if you have online friends and online social media, you're guaranteed to, like, slip into this vacuum and this hole where everything becomes online. But it's so easy to do that, like, does there ever become a point where it just is better to say no and walk away? Let me tell you about a new opportunity we are offering for our fans and supporters. You may know the podcast and the blog, but did you know that Three Hearts Homestead is on Locals? If you have ever wanted to engage with us online, chat with other fans of the homestead, or support us financially, this is a great way to do it. 
Sign up for free at threeheartshomestead.locals.com to see posts, updates, and content you won't be able to find anywhere else. A paid membership at any amount gets you access to additional perks, including the ability to write posts, see other people's comments, and access to live chat events and exclusive video content, like our monthly Q&A, where we take questions directly from our supporters. Sign up between now and the new year and get one month of free access to our exclusive content by using code word COMMUNITY for a free trial. That's threeheartshomestead.locals.com, code word COMMUNITY, in all caps. Now, back to the show. Mm-hmm. So... trying to think of a good analogy or metaphor to apply here but yeah we've got a limited amount of resources we've got a limited amount of mental capacity for things that we can think about in a given day a limited amount of time from the time that we wake up to the time that we go to bed if we go to bed at all to get things done and there is a hierarchy of priorities that needs to be obeyed because choosing to do something whether you realize it or not, is an intentional choice not to do other things. Um, in order to say no to something, in order to say yes to something, you have to say no to something else. Um, is what I keep hearing over and over again from various people. And if you're spending too much time on the internet and not engaging in the people around you who arguably you are much more called to interact with the people who live near you right um scripture talks so frequently about your neighbor right and this idea uh, fundamentally the simplest definition that i can think of for a neighbor without getting into any kind of theological distinction whatsoever is just the people around you, wherever it is that you're at, the, the the people who live tangentially to you, whose lives intersect with yours, we have very strong obligations to our neighbors um, in the Christian tradition, for sure. And so to seek out people further away further out in our sphere of influence to try and like force these ties together or forge new friendships at the expense of neglecting our obligations to the people of around us i think that's dangerous i think that's a problem for sure and it's almost the idea of like say i was writing a letter to someone and my family was trying to get ready so we could go to dinner at grandma and grandpa's house or something and I'm just up in my room writing this letter, and people are downstairs yelling at me, Nick, come on, get ready, it's time to go, it's time to go, so I'm trying to finish writing this letter. There's a conflict in my priorities between life as it is happening directly around me, with my family trying to do something in the moment then and there, and this letter that needs to go out from me to someone else presumably further away from me and there comes a point where it's like well i don't care if you're done with the letter or not you can finish it later let's go get another grandma and grandpa gotta go and you have to be able to respond to that call to come downstairs and to put the pen down 
and engage with the people around you? I think it's really hard, especially in an online space, to be able to see that line. Because, like, I mean, I know for me, even, like, personally, like, I could get on Facebook and have every intention of, like, just doing, like, the one or two things that I was going to do for the business that day or that morning or whatever time it might be. And then suddenly, 30 minutes later, I find myself still scrolling because there is more scrolling to be done. And I go, what the heck just happened? Where did my time go? Why am I still sitting here? And I think it's really, really easy to get sucked into the never-ending scroll or whatever it might be in the online space with social media. So, like, I think kind of as a tie-in question to that, like, in personal life, all business things aside... What does proper utilization of the internet look like from a Christian and Catholic perspective? Mm -hmm. Well, let's let's start because I like what you said there about the never-ending scroll, and that reminded me of a little anecdote. But let's start our understanding of how we ought to use the internet with a brief note on how we ought not to use the internet. We ought not to use it the way it's designed to be used <laughs> because it is designed and packaged and manufactured and sent out to people who want to maximize our engagement with it for strictly monetary goals. The people who design the colors of the apps on your phone are very well aware of the psychology behind how different colors make you feel emotionally to artificially stir up certain kinds of sentiments about it. And if you doubt me on that, set your iPhone to grayscale for like 90 days and then at the end of that turn color back on and your phone will look like you just stepped into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Your phone will look like the house landed in Oz. You stepped outside and everything was in Technicolor for the first time. You will be sickened by it. And it's not like you were living without color. You were just living without the digital color on your phone. Because you still had everything around you. You still had the flowers and the sky and the grass and everything else around you. That's not the color that you got used to not having. You were living a life full of color for those 90 days. But there's something about the way your phone's going to look when you do that. Because it's engineered to look that way. Same thing with the endless scroll. Um, it used to be necessary on pretty much every website, just because of what was made available with development at that time, that if there was something to scroll through, a feed, search results, stuff like that, you'd get to the bottom of the page. And it would say, this is page one out of... 375,000 and there'd be a little next arrow and you'd hit the next one and it would bring you to the top of page two and you would keep scrolling in case what you were looking for wasn't on page one. Well, psychologists determined pretty quickly that um, people stay scrolling and looking for results longer when they don't have to put more effort in to see more results. So if you had to keep hitting that next button, Odds are eventually you'd stop. 
and you just go look for something else. You go do something else. They engineered the endless scroll to get around that because you don't have to hit a next button anymore. You can just scroll a little further and then a little further and then a little further. And they tested this a handful of different ways. Um, but basically they had um, a certain amount, a, a feed of a certain amount of information. I can't remember if it was Google search results or like pictures on some kind of social media or something, but it was a predetermined number. They had a set and they had it given to a sample of people who had to make it through it or not had to make it through it, but just to, you know, look through it as much as they wanted to. Um, one with a page based thing where you'd scroll, get to the bottom of the page, hit the next one. And one with an endless scroll kind of a thing where you just, you know, kept sliding your finger and, or moving your mouse wheel and, you know, just turn it off when you're done, when you've looked through enough of it, when you feel satisfied with how much you've looked through. And I don't remember the numbers of how it turned out, but like, hands down, people just stayed looking longer by a significant faction, fact, factor on the end of the scroll just because it removed that brief barrier of every time you hit that next button thinking huh am i really doing this again ah, i really have to do this again hmm, okay well it takes away the thought yeah it makes it less intentional and the decision it, it makes it less intentional it's no longer a question that needs a decision that requires an action it's just it's mindless mindless and continuing mm-hmm. and because of so so yeah um, between colors, between endless scroll-related things, between thumbnails on YouTube videos. Um, <laughs> everything is intentionally engineered to make profit at the expense of your ability to be attentive to things, at the expense of where your eyes wander and drift at, yeah, it's it's taking so many functions of the way that your brain wants to work when it comes to attention, focus, where you look on a page, what kinds of things you look at. And it's capitalizing on that for the sake of making money. So, so to deny that, to suggest that you can use it the way it's made to be used in light of that is foolish, right? Because the way it was made to be used is the way that makes you a slave to it um so i don't think anyone can actually i've actually not heard anyone go this far in saying this right i've heard people say that oh it's built in a way to suck you in but i've rarely heard anyone say therefore you can't use it the way it's meant to be used I, I never hear anyone make it to that step. I never hear anyone make it. Quite it's nice. controversial. I don't know why it's controversial, but but yeah, so you can't use it the way it's supposed to be made. Um, it wants you to get sucked in. It wants you to get addicted. It wants you to become a slave to the marketing of it all. Um, and you just can't let yourself do that. That's the first thing you can't do. So how do you fight that? And then not even just fighting that, but like what positive good principles can you build towards um because we don't want to be reactive exclusively in regards to this right we can't just be talking about online ethics as a response to bad things that are going on we actually have to identify good ideals to move towards um so hopefully we'll talk a little bit about both of those ideas there um 
fighting the bad in the system, but also promoting a good. Um, you have any ideas on that, actually? Well, well, I'm still thinking about it a little bit, but what are some healthy guidelines or habits you would recommend to someone? I personally would just strongly caution against pretty much any form of social media, but like, I mean, social media has its benefits, social media has its good points, social media has, you know, this, that, and the other thing that you could argue mean you shouldn't just ditch it wholesale but i think one you should be very particular about the social media you choose and in being particular about the social media you choose i would only ever utilize like one maybe two different types of social media i would not go above and beyond that because it's too much to keep up with and it makes it way easier to get into that whole endless, mindless scrolling because you're just jumping from different thing to different thing. And there's so many different things on each social media platform that it, you know, if one thing doesn't suck you in and isn't necessarily as engaging, maybe the next thing is. And then it's just a whole nightmare. And it's hard to get out of more than one or two at once, if that makes sense. I would stick with one, maybe two social medias if you need social media or really, really want social media. But within that, I would set time limits. Whether that's you set it up in your phone, if your phone is how you use social media most often, where you have time limits. And once you've been on it for maybe 10 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever amount of time you think is appropriate for a given day, it just automatically locks you off of that app or shuts the app down, or whatever it does, however it works, and keeps you off of it. So then you are training yourself in temperance, in being able to walk away without having to make that conscious decision, if that makes sense. Like, given that it is intended to suck you in and intended to keep you on as long as it possibly can, having that very stark cutoff made for you because you decided that was the appropriate amount of time beforehand, before you got into all of the scrolling and these types of things, it allows you that freedom to be able to walk away without having to deal with the conscious thought coming to your mind as you're scrolling to actually say no and put it down. Um, if you have really good self-control, maybe you could get away with like telling yourself, okay, I'm going to set a timer and for 10 minutes I'm going to do this and then I'm just shutting it off for the day. But I think that's really hard to do because it's like, at least for me personally, like the timer can go off and I'm like, oh, but like one more second and then it's, it's all downhill from there. So I don't know, that would be kind of my thought is just limiting the amount of social media accounts you have and then also finding very concrete ways of being able to cut yourself off. That way you don't have to consciously think about it when you're stuck in the mindless scroll. That does make sense. 
how would you extend that advice to someone whose job entails a decent amount of that, but like obviously they have other job responsibilities? Like, like, say someone's got to manage the social media accounts for a business in addition to other stuff that they have to do. I think that gets tricky depending on how much of your job relates to social media. I know for me personally, when I set up the blog and was working on all of those things and getting social media put together and all of that, for, you know, marketing purposes and getting the name and the brand out there. Like, a lot of people said, you need Instagram, and you need Twitter, and you need Facebook, and you need Pinterest, and you need this one, and you need that one. And I was very intentional when it came to deciding which social media I would use and only picking two. Now, when we added the podcast, we added YouTube as well, but I see that as a different facet of the business. So for the specific aspect of the business that I work on the most and spend the most time on, I refused to let myself get sucked into more than two social media accounts because one, that's all I could reasonably manage. And two, I didn't want to allow myself to get sucked in more. I wanted to draw that hard line for myself, even though it might promote the brand better and it might get more views and it might, you know, do all of these good things for the business. I saw a lot of value in keeping it small in terms of how much time I spent on social media itself. Now, I know that's not something that everyone can do because maybe some businesses you know, or some jobs specifically require you to be on every single one of the social media platforms promoting your specific business. And in that case, I have quite frankly no experience to be able to offer on how to regulate your time spent there. But I do think that if it's not a self-employed job, it goes back to the, you know, whole nine to five thing or seven to four, like you said earlier, like when you're clocked in, you're doing those things on your social media if that's your job description. But once you clock out, you go home and you do your life. So I think that balance makes it easier, but I would not, I don't know. I don't know what I would offer in terms of if you were self-employed or working from home and your job required you to have a vast multiplicity of social media accounts and a social media presence in all of them that was very active. I'm not sure what I would do there. Personally, I wouldn't do it, but that's my experience. So I'm not sure what to offer in terms of temperance and time management when it comes to being self-employed, but needing or choosing to do all of those different avenues. To catch part three of our conversation on Christian ethics in an online world, be sure to check us out at threehartshomestead.com. You can also find us on Facebook, 
Pinterest, YouTube, and more by looking for Three Hearts Homestead. Lastly, be sure to check out our Locals community at threeheartshomestead.locals.com for more exclusive content. And be sure to tune in for future conversations like this one between Maddie and I as heart speaks to heart. God bless and have a good day. Sempre